You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Mikael Jonsson, co-founder and partner at Ox. There's a phase which usually, you know, can take a couple of years before you really understand, oh, this is what we should be doing. All right, we are back with another episode of the SAS Nordic podcast. And uh, hi, Daniel. Nice to see you again, as always. Nice to see you again. It's actually nice to be back behind the computer here again. We've been on the road a little bit. So for all of you that joined us uh, at the Mentimeter and, and Supermetrics meetups the last couple of weeks here, that was great. Thank you so much for coming. It was so nice to see you. And I had the pleasure to actually bump into some of you also in Barcelona during Saster just last week. That was amazing as well. So... But it's nice to be back here and start recording these podcasts again. Yeah, and you had to go alone to Barcelona since I have a graduation here at home. So how did that feel? Uh, empty, empty. And it's like, you know, it's like it, our brand was not complete. You know, people were like, hey, great to see you, Daniel. Where's Thomas? Like, uh, it was it was weird for them. It was not the same thing. So we're never doing that again. This is a duo operation. Yeah, duo or nothing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and looking forward, we have just recently announced that we're doing a big digital event at the fall like we did last year and that says is digital so you can expect one full day with several different tracks with a lot of content and a lot of networking so uh, mark september 27th in your calendar and you're gonna hear a lot more about that but uh, let's move on today we're gonna start a three episode series on topics that I think is relevant for all of you out there. So um, let's move on with it. Today, we are very happy to welcome back Mikael Jonsson, partner at Ox, one of our community partner here at the SAS Nordic podcast. So welcome, Mikael. Thanks, Thomas. Great to be with you guys again. Great to have you here. And, and thanks for, for, for the last time we bumped into each other, which was at Sassiest. You had two great sessions there. And I'm going to do a little bit of a punch for our, our own SAS Nordic TV here. So if you did not see them live, you should go to sasnordic.tv here and watch Michael's fantastic sessions on, on some of the topics we're actually going to discuss again here a little bit more in greater detail. Yeah. But if you don't know Mikael, uh, please Mikael, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Mikael, I'm a co-founder and general partner at Ox. Uh, I've been investing in fast-growing technology companies for the better part of 23 years by now. Most of that time I've spent in software in the last 10, 15 years has all been about SaaS. Uh, And as a firm, we are a very niche uh, venture capital firm investing exclusively in B2B SaaS, more specifically in B2B SaaS companies that have hit that what we call the scale-up stage. So that means they've built for product market fit. They're on their way to building towards go-to-market fit. Uh, We do that across Europe with an ambition to find those companies that have the mission, vision, and ambition to build global category leaders. So what do you find stimulating with that? Why work with B2B SaaS companies? (laughs) Uh, You know, the the, the very short answer is it's the only thing I know. Uh, (laughs) And no, but it's it's obviously a confluence of many different things, right? It's, it's, It's... having experience in history and pattern recognition and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Uh, It was also a result of when we started the firm back in 2016, 2017, 
there was a lot of focus on digital consumer companies and there weren't a lot of people interested in investing in B2B SaaS in Europe, I would say. In the US was a different story. Right. There, there was actually a lot of money at the very early stages and there was tons of money at the late stages. But the sort of stage in between where, you know, companies come of age, if you like, or where you go from being like promising adolescent teenager to being an, a young adult, right? That stage was really difficult for companies. It's where you need to start spending money and where you need to start focusing not on only building a great product, but actually building a really strong go-to-market. So there was a big need for that type of focus and expertise in the European market. So that's, that's the other explanation behind the story. So if I'm a founder listening to this and I hear you say like, you know, we invest in, in high growth, scale up companies and so on. Are, are there a, any other metrics you can give me so I know like, am I, the, am I a guy that should call you or not? Like, <laughs> <laughs> You can always call me down there, you know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's a holistic picture. Like just like everyone else who invests, you know, in the venture stage, you know, we look at a number of different things. It's a combination of growth. It's, it's a combination of net revenue and gross revenue retention. It's a combination of those SaaS metrics that are most important in terms of your go-to-market efficiency, whether that is, you know, CAC payback, LTV to CAC, magic number, etc. But first and foremost, for us, it always starts with a product. It always starts with the product and the vision to do something which solves a really, really important problem. Right. And doing that in a very unique way where you can build sustainable competitive advantage over time. We, we're, we're first and foremost you know, intrigued by great product propositions, the, the sort of financial metrics and everything that comes afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And I know you guys have invested in some of the, the, the greatest B2B SaaS companies out there. We, we had uh, Felix Kanser from Funnel in one of our very first episodes, and I know you guys were early on that and have had an amazing trajectory with them. So speaking about companies that you guys are looking for, are there any particular regions that are key for you guys? Are there any particular type of B2B SaaS companies that are particularly interesting? So, so in terms of regions, we're, we're European-wide, uh, actually even beyond Europe. We have companies today in Sweden, the UK, in France, in Poland, in Germany, in Holland, and in Israel. So, you know, it's, it's across the board where we find the most promising companies, really. Uh, would we do something in the US? Absolutely. If there's a very, you know, very strong European angle or an affinity, you know, back a team that we know from before, but they're setting up shop in the US. But you know, just going in competing with everyone else in the US where we don't have like a competitive edge, I don't see us doing that. So it's, it's primarily a European perspective. Uh, and in terms of types of companies, it is companies with a strong product vision, building something unique, solving a really, really big problem and, and doing that in a unique way. So there's, a, there's obviously a lot of great companies that are building for a local market or a regional market, or they're you know, building for a, for a smaller niche and a vertical stuff like that. that that's, that's great, but it's not what interests us. And uh, how much money do you have? And how much money do you invest in companies in different stages? Yeah, so we, we have about uh, 300-ish million dollars under management right now. We're just investing from our second fund, which we did a first close on uh, in December last year. That was good timing. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in terms of check size, we invest somewhere around 5 to 10 million-ish dollars as the initial checks can go much bigger over time uh with co-invest from our lps we've gone up to 30 35 million dollars in individual companies so when you go in and invest is there a certain time dimension to that or 
What does that look like? Yes, there is. So, I mean, I said, you know, in the beginning here that we invest in those companies that have really built towards product market fit already, and they're on the journey towards go-to-market fit. That means they typically have a couple of years, at least under their belt, you know, maybe even three, four years. Uh, and then we build for a phase where, you know, typically you'd give that another three to five years. Uh, and at that point, we will, you know, we'll take stock and we'll uh, we'll evaluate whether we should just go on and continue building. A company like Funnel, for instance, really easy decision. Like we're just, you know, we're, we're doubling down and we're going and we're heading towards IPO, right? But we like to have sort of a milestone around three to five years where we can, you know, again, take stock and decide whether we just continue doubling down on this or whether we do something strategic. Great. Right. Super. I think that's enough uh... To talk about Ox, right? Good stuff. But uh, we are going to have a series together uh, during the year here. Uh, you have uh, set up a playbook around go-to-market fit. And we're going to take it piece by piece. Today, we're going to talk about product market fit, which, which is uh, you know something you need to have in place before you move on with other parts. We're going to talk about go-to-market fit and the whole go-to-market process in three different episodes here. So to start with... Why is product market fit so important, according to you? Yeah. Isn't it enough just to have a good idea and run with it? <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the product market fit sits in a concept of, you know, a three-staged approach to building a really, really strong SaaS company, really big one. So product market fit is the first sort of step. The next one is go-to-market fit. And the third one is growth and moat. And again, this is a model that Mark Roberge of HopSpot fame uh, has popularized, right? And we, we're very strong advocates of that. And the reason for you know, dividing this growth journey into three distinct phases is you should be optimizing for a different outcome in the different stages. Uh, that is not to say like you you should always try to grow and you should always be doing that in an effective way and you should always do economically rational decisions. But the the problem that we see time and time again is companies getting ahead of themselves. They get some early traction. They start throwing money at the problem. They hire salespeople left, right, and center. They haven't figured out their positioning. They don't know their demand yet. They don't know who is their ideal customer profile. They don't know who, you know, what industry or vertical they should be selling to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that leads to chaos and missed opportunities. So starting that journey, building for product market fit, that means you should be optimizing for customer retention doesn't mean you shouldn't be growing fast. You absolutely should, but you shouldn't be optimizing for growth at all costs. We think it's a much better proposition to optimize for customer retention, make sure you find that niche where you have a really, really strong value offering, and then you can accelerate the growth from there rather than just growing at all costs, but not necessarily you know, solving a particular problem for anyone. So product market fit is the first sort of step there. And you should really be focused, as we see things, on customer retention. That's more important than anything. And that's the ultimate proof that you've actually built for product market fit, that you can show strong customer retention. I think that's really interesting because uh, I don't want to be speaking on behalf of the entire community, but I've seen some examples where... Uh, there's a founding team, they have a great idea, they're visionary, they, maybe they've done a, a, you know, a good run in the past with something else. So they sell to 
family and friends and old customers, and there's a little bit of momentum early on, and then they raise capital, but there's nothing there about net retention. It's just about winning new deals. So, so are you saying that that's not a strong sign enough that you have product market fit? I, so, so for us, the actual growth rate of a SaaS company in the very early days, whether you're at like, you know, a million of ARR or 3 million of ARR, that that's that's only a very you know very limited part of the story right and we would rather see a company with super strong retention who have found their niche and their type of customer uh you know growing at a hundred percent than somebody who is all over the place growing 200 percent right all right it seems to me like this is something that in certain cases almost could have been there from the beginning if, if they had a niche and if, if they got a good momentum and solved a problem that that was very you know evident in the market while other companies maybe was a little bit all over the place and it can be quite a long process before going uh, getting product market fit or am i wrong the, the absolute majority of companies that that i've seen historically that we see are in that latter category they have an idea they don't know quite exactly what the idea is they don't know exactly who it is for or what the limitations are in terms of reachable customers or customer size or pricing or whatever right so they throw something out there and they see what stick. And this is very much aligned with like, you know, lean startup ideas or, you know, minimum viable products and everything. So there's a phase which usually, you know, can take a couple of years before you really understand, oh, this is what we should be doing. And that's typically when you start hitting your product market fit, right? Right. I thought you were going to say like you guys do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but there, there are companies out there. There are probably laser focused from day one because they've been, you know, working in a particular industry, solving a particular problem for 20 years, right? So they may actually know exactly what to do, but then, you know, obviously they may be having a slightly inward biased idea of what that actually is. So they may be missing out on opportunity as well. So I, I think it's healthy in the initial phases to try out a lot of different things before you double down and specialize. But the important sort of piece of, of recommendation here is to actually make sure that you do that at some point. Don't just continue, you know, hustling your way towards trying to build a really big company. Okay, so so running with your with your definition the way you guys see it that product market fit, we need to look at the retention rates and so on. So churn is then a strong indicator, but that is also well, I shouldn't say but that that is a a lagging indicator. Is there anything that we could look on the leading side, the leading indicators that tell us we're on the right track here? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, first and foremost, wh why why retention, right? Why why would you look at that? Because ultimately, it's something that's quantifiable, right? It's mm. something which isn't just fudgy, right? I'm, I'm sure you've heard all these nebulous terms around product market fit. It's about having a great product in a good market and being able to solve someone's problem, or it's about X percent of your customers being very unhappy if your product wasn't there or, you know, whatever, right? It's not particularly helpful for you as a, you know, leading team or a founder to, to be building a company based on that type of input. But retention is very quantifiable. It's very black and white and you can actually define it, right? Mm -hmm. So so it may not be perfect. And particularly since, like you say, it's a lagging indicator. So, so you, you would like to find ways of making sure that you can see. So what are some of the leading indicators that lead to great retention? There's another problem actually, you know, with, with retention, 
is that you can fudge it with customer contracts, right? You know, you, you can structure contracts in a way which makes your retention look artificially great. Yes. Uh, and because of that, you know, you can do annual contracts or multi-year deals and stuff like that. And it may actually be better to look at renewal rates. Mm-hmm. So you will only look at those cohorts that will have come to the point of actually being renewed rather than your entire customer base. Because that, that will, you know, give you an artificially high retention number. But that's that, that's more the detail. But looking at, you know, the sort of leading indicators, th- there's, there's no quick fix. This this will be different, unfortunately, for, for different companies. Uh, and th- there's sort of a, the, the approach is to do, set up a number of hypotheses, do a number of controlled experiments to say, this is what we think is going to lead to high customer retention down the road. Okay. And then to follow your cohorts of customers that you onboard based on that hypothesis or those hypotheses for that matter that you set up, right? And there's sort of a there's a general formula which you can you can use like that the leading indicator is true, logical valuable true if a certain percent of my customers achieve an event whatever you define that event is, and I'll give some examples, right? Within a certain period of time. So it's about, you know, probability, percent of customers, event, and a certain period of time, right? So you, you do time box it. Yeah. And it, this could be something like if you have a, say, messaging or collaboration app, 70% of customers send 30 messages within the first 30 days. That is a perfectly viable hypothesis of what will drive great usage of your product and therefore strong retention down the road. Right. You don't know that's the case, but that's your hypothesis, right? So you will run based on that. Mm. And then you will backtest, obviously, as your cohorts mature. Uh, if you just look at usage-based, you know, it could be 50% of users log in at least daily within the first 30 days. Uh, you can look at someone who has a platform type of product where you have multiple products on the platform and you can define your hypothesis as say 75% of customers use at least three features out of 10 available within the first, uh, you know, 45 days or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have metrics or, or hypotheses that are more of a viral usage nature. So if you have that type of, of product replication, you know, a hypothesis which says that 50% of users have invited at least 10 other potential users within the first, you know, 30, 45 days or something like that. That could be an equally viable hypothesis. I mean, there's a, there's, there's only, the only limitation here is, is your, you know, imagination really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, there will be inevitably people will, will be asking like, so, so what, what percentage is right? right. <laughs> and of course there is no right answer, right? Mm. But if we, if we ultimately focus on retention again, the, the widely spread or held, you know, belief is that, you know, 90% grows customer retention. That's a sound business, right? In SaaS, you know, it might be slightly higher if you're an enterprise, slight, you know, slightly lower, maybe 75, 80% if you're an SME, but if you can get to 90% retention, that's a really good number, right? So if you were to define a hypothesis like this, where a certain percentage of your customers do some sort of event within a certain period of time, you know, making that percentage 90% is probably very harsh because you would need to see evidence of every single customer in order to drive, uh, you know, towards that metric you're looking for. Uh, similarly, 5 to 10% probably is equally too relaxed, right? So it's a, you know, 
I, I don't know what the right number is, but somewhere between maybe 50 and 75%. And you're just going to have to sort of iterate your way around to think about what makes sense here. Mm. And there's a couple of other important uh, you know, things to think about, about this whole hypothesis testing. First of all, the, the event that you're looking for, whether that is customer, you know, uh, being a daily active user or, you know, sending a certain number of messages or actually using a certain number of products or whatever have you, it has to be binary. It has to be yes or no, right? It can't be, you know, fudgy or nebulous. It's like, it's something that either it is or it's not, right? Uh, and then you need to be able to measure this. It can't be something which takes you two head counts of analysts to figure out in some sort of deep data somewhere. And there's a manual run of this with a time lag of 30 days every day, every time you're trying to figure it out, right? So it has to be available, quantifiable, and fairly automated, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so if you're tracking customer cohorts, obviously, you know, that, that sort of retention data is, is available to you. And, and most importantly, it shouldn't be a vanity metric, which, which is like, yay, we've 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 solved for a hypothesis here, so we think we have product market fit. But there's no connection or alignment whatsoever with your overall value proposition or the value you're delivering to your customer. Right. Right. It has to be tied in some way, shape, or form to what is that value, and you know, it could be that the customer. The customer value that you're generating through this hypothesis is like you're helping them to lower their processing costs for whatever process XYZ by 10%. Yeah. Uh, it could be that you have proven out that the platform product that you are uh, bringing to market is much more valuable than you know competitor XYZ, which has a point solution. So, so it's like you need to align it to those sort of like uh, really important value building uh, milestones. That's a very, very long way of, of explaining, you know, how to think about leading indicators around product market fit. That's that's good. It's like digging into the details. Like it. <laughs> then uh, I guess people are maybe asking themselves, okay, work, what kind of solutions are there that can help me so I can set this up and measure this in a good way? Uh, maybe you're not here as a software advisor, but uh, is there any tools that you see that has helped companies that you know? Yeah, so, you know, there there's tons of products out there, obviously, trying to help people to figure out. P Pendo, obviously, on the product usage side. Uh, you know, you have things like uh, uh, Intercom, obviously, uh, trying to understand users' behaviors and patterns and stuff like that. Yeah. There's all sorts of, uh, you know, people used to use, uh, what was it, Mixpanel. Uh, you know, there's probably 50 different types of products around that, like, but there we have something to start Googling around, yeah? Yeah, but being data-driven and like really thinking about, so if you put yourself in your customer's shoes, what will make you as a customer value this product, which is ultimately why you're going to stay with me, right? Mm -hmm. So again, agreeing that the, the overall uh, goal here is to maximize for retention in this phase, going then backwards is like, okay, so how do we, you know, what, what are the measures we can take to drive that? PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My Newsdesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My Newsdesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial.
let's say you have a company and you've been going at it for a number of years and you have thrown things on the wall, see what sticks and you have a, maybe a bit diverse product uh, offering. So what does the process look like to starting, you know, get things in order and making sure that you have product market fit? I, th I think it's about, again, acknowledging that first and foremost, we're optimizing for something here and we're not optimizing for, you know, ARR or revenue growth at whatever the cost. Like we're not going to spend $2 to drive $1 of revenue here, even if it makes us look pretty as a vanity metric in terms of ARR growth, right? We're optimizing for something which ultimately down the road will help us build a really, really, you know, valuable company. And that is, you know, again, the retention is really a proxy for customer value, right? You're building something really valuable for a particular set of customers, could be a really small set of customers initially. And the way, again, you know, not to, you know, move ahead of things here, but like the go-to-market fit is all about, you know, understanding how can we reach all of these potential customers with this problem and issue. Like it, when you're optimizing for product market fit, you can definitely do things that don't scale. You can, you know, you can travel to, you know, I don't know, Brazil to sit down with your customer for two weeks and help them onboard and get them all set up and like do whatever it takes to really, you know, get under the hood and make sure you're solving their problem. Right. Uh, you know, optimizing for how to do that in a really high growth fashion and economically that, 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 that sort of comes later in the go-to-market fit phase. Yeah. That's very interesting. And so we talked a little bit about how we measure it. We talked about the processes here, but what about the people? Like, who would you say in an organization? Is it an individual? Is it a team? Who is responsible for the product market fit exercise? Yeah, excellent question. Excellent question. So, so most people would default to say this is a customer success issue. Right. The thing is, most companies that are at this stage, they don't even have customer success yet. Yeah, exactly. And and you you, <laughs> you probably will understand where I'm going with this. And you know, since. Since again, it's about thinking about these three staged sort of growth journey, mm -hmm. like product market fit, go to market fit, growth and moat. If that is the most important thing for your company at this point in time, it really needs to be a leadership question. And I think it's ultimately down to the CEO to making sure that this is what we're focused on, not being, you know, tempted by, uh, you know, throwing caution to the wind and, and going after some vanity metrics and looking really pretty and maybe, you know, having a nice little press release in, in some sort of publication, of course, not SAS Nordic, but somewhere else <laughs> where you can scratch your vanity a little bit, but actually just being hell bent on delivering true value uh, you know, and building a product that does that better than anyone else. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because like while you were talking, I was thinking exactly that, like, okay, this sounds like a customer success exercise, but many companies don't have mature enough of a customer success exercise early on. And it's a strategic issue, right? You, you don't ask a customer success person to sort of define the entire hypothesis of what's going to bring value to my customers five years down the road, right? It's yeah. it's a really big strategic question. And it also is super tightly anchored in the line is where you want to take your product, right? Mm. How do you want to position it? How do you how do you see the competitive landscape? So it's, it's a much bigger question. Yeah, I, I, I really I really find this, this fascinating. I'm going to ask you now something that, uh, and I know it's difficult for you to represent the entire VC environment out there, but uh, companies have been uh, basically growing at any cost as long as you grow really fast. 
you're in pole position to raise money to get all these articles written up about you and stuff like that but it, what listening to you it sounds like that's not necessarily the best and greatest companies cost or growing at any cost is, is not not a good idea so here we need to focus on some other things where growth is not the most important thing. Am I am I understanding that right? I, again, you know, culturally, we we may be slightly different than than some other firms out there. I'm not going to be bashing anyone's names here, but it's like the growth at all costs paradigm. I think we can all agree that now it, it's it's sort of gone relatively quickly, right? When there's no free money available anymore. Uh, that model is, you know, going rapidly out of fashion. Right. We have always thought about, you know, building companies in terms of what is the actual value that you're deriving. Like, how how do you build true value? How do you build true competitive differentiation, sustainable competitive advantage? Mm-hmm. And it's not about not growing. It's just about optimizing for different things at different stages of the journey. We are fundamentally convinced that your odds of building a really big, valuable company actually is best optimized by starting to build for product market fit and you know a retention with a really you know, particular customer segment. Only then should you be starting to optimize for how to actually reach as many of those customers as fast as possible, uh, as efficiently as possible. And only you know once you've figured that out, should you be driving, you know, top line revenue ARR metrics at all costs. That That is not the same. Again, it's definitely not the same as saying you shouldn't be growing or you shouldn't be growing very fast. You absolutely should. Right. But you shouldn't make that the only priority because if you do, you won't necessarily build the best product out there. So what are common mistakes in this area? And, and I mean, you must meet many companies that says, yeah, we have a great product market fit, but have they really? <laughs> no, I think the, 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 one, the one area is where like, well, people will say, we, we, you know, we, we're, we absolutely have great product market fit. Look at our retention numbers. They're fabulous. Uh, and they may absolutely well be, but they're, you know, they're fabulous because you've sold to your best friends. Right, exactly. <laughs> or people that you've done business with all your life. Yeah. That, that's, that's one, honestly, quite common, you know, uh, challenge that we see with companies that have grown sort of like by a local, regional, international strategy. Uh, th- there's also examples of companies that have sort of, they, they've swallowed everything we tout with hook and everything, right? Hook and bait and everything in terms of how to think about testing if they have product market fit, et cetera. But, you know, and they, they've run some serious data analysis, but they, they get into the analysis paralysis. They, they, they start churning out data and they do it to such an extent that they sort of lose track of why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore they lose the, the alignment, if you like, with, you know, what's the actual value you're looking for here? Yes, you have fantastic hypotheses and like your stats and data around those are amazing. And the way you run processes for that, you know, you could create a company around that. Uh, but, but ultimately, they may lose track of like, why are they doing this? Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's, th- those are some things that we see. But th- the most common mistake is not even thinking about things like this in this sort of structured fashion and where you optimize for for the, you know, the retention or the fit with a particular customer or, or customer need. It's rather that things are going great. We're just going to throw much more money at the problem. We'll hire 50 salespeople and we'll just keep going. Yeah. 
and that 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 could that that might work, right? It might work for some while, but you know, I've never seen it scale to build a really really large company. Uh, and sometimes when we talk about this, it, it feels like well, it's a checkpoint. You should have that. Okay, check. We have pride market fit. Now we go to the next stage, and then we focus <laughs> there. And I guess it can be sometimes you, you can sort of stray away from the path that where you were because now you're focusing on something else, and suddenly you you know in order to sell more, you add that extra module or you sort of. Uh-huh. Hundred percent, and yeah. it's it's really easy to, uh, and I think I said this in my my talk at Sassy yesterday. It's like if you can maintain strong product market fit and therefore high customer retention, you've sold half of the growth equation already, right? Right. You can grow really quickly. Everybody understands how how ARR compounds in SaaS, right? And having high net revenue retention where you're selling more to your existing customers, right? That's that's the that's the magic sauce, right? So, but I do agree with you. It's it's really easy to, it, it's hard to be focusing on many different things at the same point in time. And eventually, as you grow bigger, as you get more customers, you become a much bigger company, you're growing into different regions, verticals, use cases, whatever have you. Of course, you need to spend a lot of time and energy and effort making sure you still, you know, maintain product market fit. And the best way to do that is you'll probably be at the point then where you can actually run those retention numbers or whether it's the renewal rate numbers that you keep track of, right? Rather than just, you know, being very fancy with sort of hypotheses and experiments. Yeah, this is all very interesting, uh, Michael, and, and much appreciated your, your openness and honesty here. Like, I also wanted to ask you a little bit regarding from your perspective, the check-in point. So how do I maintain and how do I make sure that we're on the right traction? Like how often do I sit down with my team to check in? Like, do we have product market fit? Are we on the right traction? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I, I think you, you said it, like it's, it's, it's a cohort-based exercise. You can't do this, you know, from a top-down perspective. You, you need to look at cohorts because uh, obviously that's, that's, how the, that's the best practice for how to set up these hypotheses and follow up on them. And then whether you should be doing follow-ups and looking at this on a monthly or quarterly or even like, you know, could even be weekly basis, that will depend completely on what is your product and what is your sales cycle. Like if you have a fairly easy, uh, easygoing, easy to onboard, uh, quick, to, quick to, you know, get customers productive type of app, maybe weekly could could even be you know relevant for you right on the other hand if you're building like a really hardcore human capital management almost erp style application to compete with a workday quarterly or even you know biannually could be could be the relevant sort of metric and that also prove you know points to the the challenge here like if you're trying to build a really profound and you know difficult product it will take you longer to go through this phase because the feedback you're getting it takes longer to collect that feedback yeah, and and that's that's I think one of the reasons why so many companies sort of they, they get restless and they say ah screw it we're you know we're, we we have product market fit let's go yeah that makes a lot of sense but thank you so much uh, Mikael it was really interesting and. Uh as we said before, we're going to continue these talks, and this is also additional to to what you are going to present here in the near future with the go-to-market toolkit. So, um, could you just say something about what you have put together? Yeah, no. So we uh, again c- coming back to how we think about things and the way we like to work together with you know the part the companies that we partner with is about. 
this growth journey is a three-staged approach. It's about product market fit, go-to-market fit, and then you know growth and moat. And, and the go-to-market fit stage is the one that is least understood by people. And it has a number of very specific uh, things that, that you should be focusing on and completing and which we think are fundamental for people not to skip uh, as they you know get on that really growth you know fast growing journey and and in building a, a really really big company so you know it's it's a good company can get to 10 million of ARR, a great company can get to hundreds of millions of dollars of ARR and, and well beyond that right and that's it's about setting the foundations for being one of those companies. So we've sort of summarized a lot of, uh, you know, external input, obviously, but our learnings in, in working with companies uh, on these, you know, matters uh, for a very long period of time. And we've summarized that into what we call the go-to-market fit toolkit. And we're going to be launching that as a website that, that's available uh, for, you know, people with an interest in understanding how to go about as they try to, build their companies for that phase yeah and i think you can go to ox.vc right ox.vc yes it's going to be available under separate domain which is gtmf go to market fit dot ox ox.vc so gtmf dot ox.vc okay super thank you for that and just as a last question here uh, is there anyone that you would like us to have on the show Ooh, that is a brilliant question Last time I was on the show, I think I asked you guys to uh, speak to Johnny at Mentimeter, right? And you've done that now. Done that? Been there? Yes. <laughs> Got the t-shirt. Hmm. This, this is actually, I'm sort of putting up the bar here for you guys, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, the one person I would like to, to, and this is biased because he'll speak about the same things as I'm speaking about. He's sort of the guru, and that would be Mark Roberge. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's obviously... A really strong thought leader in terms of building SaaS and you know you know what he did at HubSpot and a very strong advocate of the sort of go-to-market approach that we're following as well. It would be great to hear him sell that gospel to the SaaS Nordic community and seeing if he has any any you know ideas that are conflicting with the ones we have. Okay, and Daniel, do you know who this guy is? Uh, I know of him. I just looked here at LinkedIn while we were talking. My my. <laughs> Invite is pending, apparently. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'm more lucky. So I better try. But thank you, Mikael, for that. Uh, we're we're going to do our best. And thank you for raising the bar for us. Excellent. It was great having you here. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. See you around. So, Daniel, what's your main takeaway from the episode today? This was really, really interesting. And I think for me, there was a little bit of an epiphany moment there. Like, because I think many people, me including, it's easy to feel like we have product market fit when you have a lot of momentum and you land new customers and so on. But like Michael said, it's not really about that. It's really about the retention. How many of these customers actually stick with you and renew and so on. So that, that was uh, really nice to, to hear. And like I said, a little bit of an epiphany for me, I must admit. What about you, Thomas? Yeah, you took the best one here, but... Uh, like always. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what uh, I thought about was these, I'm not going to try to say the words, but these um, hypotheses, <laughs> no, but, but these theories that you have, uh, that, that you want to test, like and, and putting numbers on what you want to accomplish the first 30 days or how you want the user to use the product to keep track of that from the beginning, because 
I think if you do that in an early stage, you you can be much more agile and and find find your positioning and find the product market fit. So, so if you haven't done it already, I think in any stage that you are, I think that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we'll be talking a lot more to Michael on, on this theme and, and you know building on, on top of what we discussed today. So if you're interested in this topic, please stay tuned. More is coming. Mm-hmm.